Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rachel Connolly from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I am your host. Today I am joined by Siddharth Sinkal, Vincent Hoffman, Joshua Kagan, and Ben Peary to discuss the topic of converting real-world assets into blockchain applications. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So, Sid, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction? Sure. Thanks a lot, Rachel. So, Sid Siddharth, based out of London, uh, work for Parity Technologies. I've been here for a couple of years and I lead our enterprise adoption team. That's me. Back to you, Rachel. Thanks, Sid. Vince, we'll go with you next. Awesome. Thank you very much. So, my name is Vincent Hoffman. Please call me Vince. I'm from South Africa, but I live on the tropical island of Mauritius. I've been building my career in the blockchain space for the last five years, and my passion is to leverage on innovative technologies and human relations to create win-wins. I'm the head of community relations for Lingo, and Lingo is the first startup that leverages blockchain technology and real estate to reward its community with the free vacations. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Vince. Joshua, can we come to you next? Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Joshua Kagan, uh, co-founder and CEO of Bonfire. My passion is to use market-based forces to tackle societal problems. Um, the problem that Bonfire is trying to solve is access to uh, financial instruments for people who are not wealthy. And Bonfire is a two-sided marketplace that connects buyers and sellers of income-producing real estate assets. Um, and we tokenize these assets and enable anyone from around the world to be able to buy uh, into these assets. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Joshua. And last but not least, Ben. Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here. My name is Ben Peary. Been in the blockchain industry for over 10 years. I started Memory Gardens last year. Uh, memory Gardens is a secure digital legacy platform that empowers users to preserve their memories as pictures and videos for future generations, making sure that none of your personal content and family albums can ever be destroyed or deleted. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Now that we're all introduced, let's move on to the topic and focus. So you all have a question or statement on converting real-world assets into blockchain applications. As usual, I'm going to work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's get started with Ben. So I, I feel in the last year, in uh, 2022, um, the terminology for NFT have uh, become toxic. And um, we have all the love for the terminology and the uh, ELC 721, 1155, and everything else beyond, behind that. Uh, consumers see that term as a risk, as a scam, as a possible rug pull, and... If in 2021, the NFT was a positive attractant, in 2023, it's a, a deterrent, deterrent for users that come to the ecosystem. I would like to open the floor and, and ask the, the others on this call, what is your point of view um, in regard to the NFT terminology? And would you go and say in 2023, hey, I'm working on an NFT project, or would you go and say I'm doing digital uh, tokenization or uh, digitizations of assets and not use the NFT terminology. Maybe I'll chime in here. Um, yeah, I can I can totally empathize with uh, what you're opposing. And you know, as a species, we generally gravitate 
towards the path of least resistance. Um, and when it comes to technology, disruptive, amazing technologies, even though they've got so much potential to drive real value to stakeholders, um, they're often seen as a quick, uh, get rich scheme. Uh, I mean, look, blockchain has democratized access to tokenization and NFTs. So a lot of people have seen this as a, a means to get rich quickly without really paying much attention to, uh, stakeholders and how an NFT can accomplish its, you know, use case of proof of ownership. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, when they enter the space, they get scammed using a great technology They come out saying, oh, Bitcoin, blockchain, NFTs is a scam, but it's, it's not true at all. Blockchain is, is like a knife. It's a tool, a knife you can use to cut your food, carve a beautiful sculpture or stab your neighbor in the throat. It's, it's how do you use it? That's why education is imperative to not only show people the uh, benefits of, and how they can optimize their lives and businesses with the technology, but how to mitigate the risks of supporting bad players. So yeah, NFTs have definitely gotten a bad uh, rep over the past few years and rightly so, but people need to take responsibility for their ignorance and not blame the technology and actually look at the, the users, the developers behind the, the projects. Well said. Yeah. I could ramble on, but I'll pause it there for a moment. Stead, I think you had the point you wanted to raise on that. Oh, sure. Yes. I was speaking on mute. Thanks, Vince. Uh, I completely agree with, with the remarks that you're making and uh, agree with Ben's sentiments as well. So, like, Ben, you've been around in the space. Like, I think NFTs, even though the term might have become toxic, and I agree with that sentiment, but I, I think it, it's done a lot of good as well. Certainly, it has answered the question of what potential use case or at least one potential use case that resonated with with uh with, with some of the folks uh on the street right like in back in the day you might remember colored coins or icos uh and i believe it, uh, nfts uh, down in the history lane probably four five years will now will be analogous to icos right like again a lot of good came out of icos uh, and uh, many entities still have the foundation and uh, for profit structure um and and probably similar with the NFTs. Now, what's good uh, to what Vince also said, like the non-fungibility part actually now works, right? Like the world now knows that it works and it, it, and hopefully the world can move on uh, to create real world applications and, and hopefully users actually do not even know that blockchain is powering them, right? Like I was actually pleasantly surprised from the way uh, Vince was describing Lingo. Uh, so if token orders are actually getting vacations and if lingo actually works uh those getting cheaper better faster should be the point of concern and not uh what is the underlying technology thanks Sid. was there anything josh you wanted to add on that yeah i don't come from a technical background um, but i share both um vince and sid's sentiments the way i look at it is you know i think i, I kind of mentally divide the world into kind of three camps there's like the crypto natives, you know, the Web3 DGENs were just super enthusiastic about any type of NFT drop and new technology within sort of the, the crypto blockchain space, the crypto curious, and then the crypto hostile. And I wonder if the current state of NFTs, you know, I'm always thinking like, is the is Web3, is DAOs, is, is, is NFTs, are they drawing in more crypto curious people or are they pushing them away? And, you know, largely the biggest use case for NFTs have been speculative um, and have been a way for people to make money quickly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, gold in the 1840s was largely 
uh, a mechanism of speculation and rug pulls, right? But gold endured, um, at least the gold rush in the, in the, in the West Coast of the U.S. Um, so I'm kind of neutral. Like, you know, I, I think that NFTs are going to come back as crypto prices come back. But there's so many other applications of blockchain that I just would hate for, you know, people to assume that, you know, that NFTs are the only application of crypto these days. Thanks, Joshua. Ben, welcome to you. So the the real question, if uh, and and uh, I I would like to to get your feedbacks on that. If you are launching a new project and you're talking about asset tokenization, uh, let it be a real estate uh, out or any other real life asset that now turns to a non fungible token. Would you market that as a digital? representation? Would you mark it as an NFT? I personally would not put the stamp NFT on anything I'm creating in 2023. I would like to hear what you guys have to say about that. It's a very interesting point. Is there anything you wanted to add on that, Josh? Um, so for our projects, you know, we tokenize uh, real estate assets and actually our tokens are fungible uh, by definition. You know, if we're dividing an asset into a thousand tokens each token has the same rights as as every other token so nft is actually a misnomer for what we're trying to do and i feel like it confuses people because people often ask oh are you selling nfts and i have to go into like explanation of what a fungible token is right and so you know for the crypto kind of curious that i speak with i often use the word units or shares you know like vernacular that people are, are more accustomed to because tokens now have their own sort of connotations around nfts or rug pulls or ftx or whatever right so language is really important and it's really interesting to see how it evolves in our space and i look forward to us getting even more precise and clear about what these terms mean and kind of the application of them because for us nft is completely the wrong term for what we're doing perfect thanks joshua Joshua, we'll stick with you if we come to you next, if you'd like to um, pose your question to the panel. Sure. Um, I want to go with, uh, you know, why tokenization? Like what, what, what should or should not be tokenized or what can be tokenized? Why would someone want to tokenize something? Why would someone not want to tokenize something? Dan, we'll come to you first. So Joshua, I like the real estate um, project you're working on. And I, I'll give a real life example. So when I want to go ahead and started my startup memory gardens, I want to access some of my liquidity. I have a few rental properties and I want to go ahead and use them as collateral to go ahead and take a loan in order to start my business. Unfortunately, using traditional finance, taking an, uh, an HLOC loan on real estate that is a rental property is not available where I live at. So I have all those assets that have, uh, good value in them, but I was unable to access them. To me, the best use case to uh, tokenize real estate is the ability to use that and access liquidity under those, to uh, under those assets that today are not accessible. Only big organizations that have connections to specific pools that they can go ahead and move the assets to can access that li li liquidity behind that but the average Joe from the street doesn't have those financial tooling. And this is a great example where tokenization of real life assets can open the world and allows the consumers to access that liquidity 
I use that money, leverage that money, buy more assets, and be able to use it where today they just can't. It's blocked. Good point. I can see you nod on the event. Uh, I guess you agree with all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Just to quickly add on to that. But yeah, I mean, technically anything and everything can be tokenized from things in the real world, things in the metaverse, or we can tokenize absolutely nothing. Um, and with what you said with um, accessing liquidity, I mean, just a, a simple, another comparison of tokenizing of precious metals. I mean, if you wanted to invest in gold, if you want to buy, say, five kilos of gold or any amount of gold and you want to travel, obviously to bring that physical gold with you is uh, a nightmare in a few respects. But if you have a, a, a token representation of that gold, and it's it's the problem is gone. Um, and yeah, there's just a million and one uh, things that can be tokenized and the value is, it's, it's all about trust because if you've got a token that represents something, and blockchain brings that trust where that token does represent that and that ownership is established, it's it's got so many different verticals of benefits. Yeah. I want to come back to you on that. I think you wanted to raise an, another point there, Ben. Yeah, I, I love what you said, Vince. It's always easier to walk with a ledger than four kilos of gold in your pocket or diamonds or whatever that will be. Um, also easier to cross uh, geographic boundaries and countries with assets that are liquid that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do so. So I, I love the gold analogy there. Thanks, Ben. Sid, we'll come to you. Sure, thanks. So I'll probably go back to Josh's question, like what can be tokenized and what should be tokenized? And, and um, I believe like when most people are talking about tokenization or like um, the fundamental thing here that we're trying to uh, tap into is three things. One is fractionalization, right? Like uh, all Vince's example around precious metals and and, re and and Ben's example, original example around real estate, probably fractionalization, right? The second thing, which uh, I think was also brought up was trustless, right? So uh, again, Ben's example talked about like uh, where he lives, uh, there aren't trusted parties which are providing that market uh, place for him to exchange or, or probably um, get liquidity from. But I, like there is a third element, which I think we are all implicitly saying uh, is programmability, right? Like these fundamental new technologies, which we are creating is actually enabling us to create smart contracts or, or much more complex um, collaboration platforms across multiple different parties and not just individuals, but also corporations, regulators, which unlock the programmability of these assets, right? So, so fundamentally, anything that can be fractionalized or it makes sense to fractionalize, uh, anything which should be programmed or can be programmed and anywhere where we can reduce the trustedness between multiple parties, I think that's where those assets should be tokenized. But having said that, I think there are newer assets being created and value being created by, by Web3, which we can't even think of right now. So, uh, uh, like a, probably a textbook example, like back when Web2 was getting invented, nobody could think of Facebook or Uber back in the day. And those are real asset classes, like a, a car, a rental car by the R is now a tokenized asset, which you can actually trade on. And there might be newer asset classes with a with lot more softer element, like reputation and trust by the R, by the minute, which we can't even imagine, but Web3 will enable in, in the not, too distant future. So I believe everything can be tokenized and probably should be or will be. Thanks, Sid. Joshua, we'll just come back to you whether you wanted to to add any 
more points in relation to those. Yeah, no, first of all, I agree with everything that each of you have shared. Um, you know, Bonfire, we're focused only on income producing real estate assets right now, partially because of like, I was on the ski slopes with a guy from Amazon and he reminded me that, you know, Amazon's first seven years, they only sold books, right? And then they branched out and did all this other stuff. And we have aspirations to tokenize you know, income produced like, like solar farms in Chile and all kinds of other stuff. But like, you know, we need to really nail this one use case. And the reason why for us, real estate is like the perfect sort of gateway drug for tokenization is like, think about like if, if we wanted, if any of us wanted to buy a $500,000 house right now, okay? And it could be an income producing rental or just one that we're buying. Well, we need a $100,000 down payment. We need to qualify for a mortgage. Well, mortgage price, you know, rates have gone up double in the last year. And that's if we can even find supply because private equity is buying up all the supply, yada, 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 right? Okay, let's say we have all those conditions. We have the house, we have the money and we want to go buy it. Well, what's the process look like? Well, we're going to have to get notaries, signatories, and go to an account. I'm talking U.S.-based, but go to a county assessor's office and sign all this paperwork, right? Usually it takes about 30 days. But with, you know, digitization and tokenization, we can actually do it in one second on Polygon, right? And, it, you know, it's peer-to-peer -peer instant settling, which is just a powerful technology that's never existed before. You know, it reduces all this, this middleman added costs related to the signatories, notaries, and all that stuff, right? It reduces the ticket size. Instead of needing a $100,000 down payment, I could come together with 100,000 people, each with a dollar, right? I mean, that's an extreme example, but it like really reduces the upfront costs and, and it democratizes access to this. Um, you know, it enables smaller investors, foreign investors. And, you know, historically, like I'm, I own a number of rental properties, but I own them largely in the geographies, close to the geographies I live in, because for me to buy stuff on the East Coast, manage it or other countries, it's just inefficient. But now with tokenization, I could own real estate in France or South America or Africa or Australia. And it's, it's all, you know, kind of fungible. Um, and last per kind of you know, one other attribute, I think that's really important and important for people to get their head around is like, you know, there are REITs out there, real estate investment trusts, there are vehicles that enable you, ETFs that enable you to buy gold, but you're investing in a corporation that owns these assets, right? Versus directly owning them and getting all the benefits, the tax benefits, the various other goodies that come with direct ownership. And that is the power of this technology. And I just think there's going to be so many different use cases that we have no, you know, prevents point that we can't even fathom right now. Um, but real estate seems to be one really good use case right now. Thanks, Joshua. Ben, did you want to raise another point? Yeah, I love, love, love that real estate stuff. Um, and I think that it can really help to bootstrap new home buyers. And when young couples want to go ahead and buy that house, if they need to put that five to 20% down payment, which is sometimes is very steep, depends on where they live at. Now family members can participate and contribute to that cause without just giving away the money. So they can actually have a few tokens in the house, kind of like as an investment where they'll have a few shares and help the newlywed couple or, 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 or new guys to go ahead and buy that house and get into the market instead of staying in rental forever. So the fact that the community can come in and help young people to bootstrap the first house purchase in my mind is, is going to be a huge success and a great impact on society. Thanks, Ben.
Sid, if we come to you next, would you like to um, pose your question to the panel? Sure. Um, so I would like to probably, now that we've established that RWAs or real-world assets and converting them to blockchain has a lot of upsides across multiple industries, I wanted to just ask what we think might be the biggest obstacles in converting them um, and, and who will probably be most empowered or disintermediated by this innovation. Uh, Joshua, can we come to you first on that one? Yeah, I think there's a number of challenges and obstacles um, converting real-world assets to blockchain. But the first biggest one will be, and I think it's, I think they're all solvable, by the way, um, but the first biggest one is the question of whether by tokenizing an asset, you know, whether that, that really connotes the ownership of it. So what I mean by that is if we as bonfires selling a thousand tokens of an asset, you know, and the legal authorities that be do not recognize that ownership structure, the tokenization as representing ownership, that's a big problem, right? So the reality is, is like us, you know, we're super passionate about Web3 and blockchain. You know, we, and I just went to eat Denver last week and it's like, we can live in a little bit of an echo chamber and not think that the real world rules apply to us. And that's, you know, a scary road to go down, which kind of brings me to like the second question of like the legal uncertainty of whether every example of a real world asset that's tokenized, is it a security or not? And I'm talking U.S. securities law, right? And, and because the SEC has failed continuously to provide any sort of roadmap as to what constitutes a security or not as it relates to digital tokens, instead they are create policy by enforcement. You know, we, we exist in this gray nebulous area, all many of us, right? Um, and then I think that the other sort of obstacles are things like, you know, there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace what, with the difference between blockchain, you know, what is it, what is it? People think it's crypto, um, you know, and then the last thing is interoperability. You know, if Bonfire's tokens are on a different protocol than our competitors, you know, are, is there really going to be liquidity in the future? Like the, the holy grail is for, our tokens to be able to sold on any DeFi exchange in the world, you know, and not just be on a closed bonfire network. Uh, so those are some that come to mind, but curious to hear what the other panelists think. Chime in for, for a moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we all can recognize the the potential of blockchain is, is massive, not just in you know, delivering trust, but the democratization of opportunities to people that would not have otherwise had access to such things. Um, and you know, again, with the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. The regulators are mandated to protect consumers. That's, you know, on paper what they're supposed to do. Um, and obviously there's a bit, they've got a bit of a balancing act because they need to protect consumers and they also need to tr not stifle in innovation. Um, and I think we're all aware of that balance and it's we can argue till the end of days uh, as to how effective the regulators are at their job simply because if we look at the fiascos of the last few years i mean the sec has done more chasing after players that are more legitimate than the players that have caused crap and are still getting away with it so you know there's a lot of questionable things happening questionable motives uh but, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're working in a pioneering technology where we are going to bump heads, step on toes, and hopefully we can reach some sort of a critical mass where the people are aware of the technology and how it can advance their lives, 
that's why education is important because if we can get the people to recognize the value, the regulators and the governments essentially should fall in line. It's not about strong arming them into that position, but you know, it's every, everything life is just a balancing act and all we can do is do our best and hopefully learn from the failures that we experience. And just to touch one point there, when we experience a failure, it's about not just picking oneself up and trying again, but recognizing our responsibility in whatever failure that we've experienced and then adapting and persevering. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a fun journey as well as challenging. Thanks, Vince. Ben, would you kind of agree with all that? Anything else to add? Yeah, so I actually see the challenge with tokenization of real-life assets by creating an underlying trust with a registrar or a service that is the one that mints those those assets. Um, for example, if we're talking about gold, um, you have uh, coin grading services like PCGS and, and, and others out there that are non-trusted entities that can actually give the actual grade of the coin that, that you're sending them. So then that coin can get digitized and now we have a uh, digitized asset representing that specific coin with that serial number. There need to be an entity that can generate those trust and, and kind of like being the underlying uh, underwriter for everything that creates and being tokenized. If we're talking about real estate, eventually the cities, counties and states have to have a place where I can go ahead and create a digital token for my real estate so I can go ahead and trade that. So there need to be something that has boots on the ground that connects the real life to the virtual world and, and there is a trust link between them that all parties are trusting. So Perfect. Thanks, Ben. Anything to add on that's it? Yeah, as in just to probably uh, play a devil's advocate while I completely agree with what Ben was saying because we need to create trust and there needs to be boots on the ground. Someone needs to verify the real asset. It kind of is in Ben and our oxymoron because we started with creating a trustless thing and now we're going back to, hey, someone needs to be trusted here. Is there really a coin behind it? It, does the deed actually say what it is supposed to say, right? Uh, the, the promise of the technology is, is is really solid. And I do hope that maybe the trusted institutions, and such as the governments and regulators, actually adopt these technologies to probably just lower the costs and, 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 and open the floodgates of uh, probably legitimizing and working with the private parties. So hopefully the governments uh, of the world and, and uh, the notaries and, and all the stakeholders that Ben was mentioning actually work with the private institutions, in this case, blockchain DAP ecosystems, and actually uh, open the floodgates of uh, collaboration here. Vince, you wanted to add something? Yeah, just that I absolutely agree. But then, you know, when it comes to pro providing trust, and I think a lot of the powers that be are also hesitant to bring such technologies into the fold because not to discredit all governments, but, you know, a lot of them are riding on a gravy train where they have uh, a monopoly, they have their revenue streams, and the moment they bring in a technology like blockchain, which challenges their stranglehold, their power and control over a system, they're going to lose profits, and they're not very stakeholder-centric minded. So it's kind of in their best interest to to stifle and slow down. I mean, just, just think, imagine if when they bring blockchain into voting, blockchain can solve the pain points of the very analog system that we use today, pen to paper, counting paper votes, 
I mean, there are so many points of failure in a voting system, so many corruptible humans, so many mistakes that can be made. And blockchain does bring automation, it brings trust and brings costs down at the same time. It's obvious that we can, obviously there are many obvious applications of blockchain, but then, you know, there, there, there are people that are already milking a system that exists, a flawed system that exists. And if we bring blockchain in, they're going to lose. So there's that hindrance there. Thanks, Vince. Ben, welcome to you. Yeah. So like Vince, I, I love what you said. Um, everything the government touches becomes tainted. Uh, Bitcoin and blockchain was created because of that uh, murky water in, in, in our world economy. And it's very interesting when you look at people who join and start working on blockchain, the people that have been there from 2009, 2010, um, they mostly have kind of like an anarchist uh, mentality where they're like, we don't want the government to touch anything. We started this because we don't want the government to touch anything uh, because we know it's all biased and it's there only to serve the politicians that are in power. Now, if, if you ask me what I would love to see is that those entities that create those digital assets that are trusted, that those are not going to be uh, uh, private entities, uh, those are not going to be government entities. They need to be a DAO entities that everybody trusts, that they can be the, the root issuer of the tokens that they are trusted, and they are only trusted because they have enough money to cover if something is wrong. So you can create trust by having liquidity and having some type of a backing to that, that, that facility, and by that creating a, a decentralized market that is not held by a specific government or people in power. Thanks, Ben. Sids, can we come to you? Yeah, just want to add to what Ben said, right? So essentially, uh, completely agree on the decentralized part and, and hopefully many more of such tokenization aspects go into a protocol layer and then hopefully DAOs and communities and, and probably public-private partnerships can actually build on top of them and Nothing prevents from governments to actually build on top of these protocol and, and removing the inefficiencies there, right? So uh, I'll probably also share an example. So a uh, couple of years ago, maybe now prior to COVID, so 2019-ish, I, I was with an institution working with digitalizing student loans. And we had the luxury of uh, sitting on a loan book of over a billion uh, plus pounds and um, over 15,000 uh, students and coming from 150 plus nationalities. Now, for those of us who are familiar with lending, there isn't any single lender on the planet which actually uh, lends out to that many nationalities because uh, how do you pursue, how do you collect, how do you disperse funds? But uh, there is a UK-based fintech startup uh, which does that in the traditional sense of way. And we try to use blockchain to kind of lower the cost of capital. And there, I think the biggest bottleneck we, were, we found was actually not regulation, was actually not technology but liquidity, right? And I just wanted to uh, probably echo Joshua's initial comment on what uh, might be the obstacle is sometimes uh, liquidity. And we found our Irish listed, uh, Irish stock exchange listed bonds were actually decent enough already. And there was an upside of probably 1%. So the blockchain technology did could have reduced 1% and probably still will if we can solve some of the other liquidity challenges and, and hopefully the industry is working on that in the coming years. Thanks, Sid. Vince, if we could come to you to um, pose your question to the panel and, and kind of the context behind it as well. I don't believe I had any particular question. I mean, I've got a, a quite plethora of insights, but no specific question to pose. 
Yeah, I think um, some of the things we spoke about was um, all to do with tokenization. I appreciate we've touched on it um, slightly already within earlier within the, the podcast, but um, one of the things you mentioned is um, kind of what can be tokenized and why a person might wish to utilize it in a token solution. Um, you mentioned a few application examples as well, so whether you want to kind of touch on those and, and whether you've got any context behind them as well. Yeah, just to touch on the last conversation that was going on, I mean, in South Africa, the national uh, electricity provider is called ESCO, and, you know, it used to be a private entity, I don't know if I into history, but the government uh, took control of the electrical utility and has run it absolutely into the ground. They keep raising the prices for services delivery they're not giving, and the whole country is enrolling blackouts every day for many hours, and it's been happening for years, and it's it's a joke. And if we had uh, smart uh, smart energy metering with blockchain systems and homes were, you know, maybe subsidized or whatever, they got solar panels, smart meter to measure how much electricity they're producing and they could sell that back onto the grid, the the price of electricity could ref, uh, be uh, respond to the forces of supply and demand rather than a monopolized and corrupt uh, electricity provider that can't even, you know, maintain the existing infrastructure. But, um, you know, for example, what, what Lingo are doing out there, I think some of you might be interested to hear that. It's we're not tokenizing real estate, but we're actually tokenizing the rental yield of real estate. So, for example, uh, for, in Lingo, there's actually a 2.5% transaction tax. 70% of that is used to accumulate and buy more real estate. And each real estate asset produces, obviously, rent each month. And 100% of that rental yield is tokenized to buybacks, whereby the rental yield is used to buy back the tokens from the open market, or uh, to buy Lingo off the open market, and then it's distributed to the community. And then the community can use those tokens uh, for staying in any one of 1 million hotels, which are already integrated onto our application. Uh, and these are hotels which we have connected to via an API, it's like a hotel aggregator. And uh, on the back end of the application, it's actually selling your lingo for fiat and paying the hotels in fiat. So the hotels have no exposure to a speculative asset. Obviously, it's a, it's a, there's quite a few verticals I could go into there. But with lingo, it's the tokenization of the rental yield of the real estate. And if you think about this, if you consider Bitcoin, if there was a 0.1% transaction tax with Bitcoin from the beginning, technically, that would not have hindered its Bitcoin's progress at all. I mean, Bitcoin is already an amazing um, application and and uh, financial instrument as it is. But if there was a 0.1% uh, transaction tax, Bitcoin would have something like $50 billion worth of real estate behind it today, obviously in each of which could be generating uh, yield. And it's, that would just be Bitcoin on steroids. So we're utilizing a transaction tax to accumulate more real estate. So without getting real estate, without getting investment from private investors, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge thing. I won't try and cover it all now, but yes, yeah, the tokenization of rental yield, and that empowers people to have free vacations. Thanks, Vince. I think um one of the points what Joshua made earlier was um kind of there's a lot of obstacles to converting real world assets into blockchain applications, and and me and Joshua were speaking about kind of who will be most threatened by this innovation in general, um. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of raise that point and, and get your your thoughts on it as well. So Sid, if we could potentially come to you first, just to, you know, see, I guess from your point of view, who do you think could be most threatened? 
Sure. So I, I think much like any technological innovation, uh, this threatens the uh, the incumbents, the big incumbents, which have probably huge taxes because the monopolies or oligopolies that they've already created, they're resting on the government licenses that they might have created or the moat that they might have built, but are not adopting or not looking at new technologies. So I think vertical after vertical or any particular industry or asset class, they will be the most impacted. I think the innovators in the field are already looking to adopt to the technology, whether they are able to adapt it or not. That's, I guess, a multifaceted question in itself. But I think the incumbents which uh, do not uh, are not looking at this technological innovation will be the most impacted. Now, these might be private individuals, these might be corporations and or the regulators. Thanks, Sid. Ben, would you agree with that? No. <laughs> I actually think that consumers and retailers are the ones going to be the most impacted. And the reason I'm saying that it's because I can see the large institutions attacking and trying to burn down a lot of the ecosystem in order to serve their self-interest on preserving their power on the ecosystem. So in my mind, a lot of the attacks that we saw this year and last year on DeFi have been actually coordinated attack by major banks and economical infrastructure that done that in order to clear down uh, or burn down all the weights to clear down the playing field so they can start offering their own platform and solutions. So they're going to burn us down so they can become stronger. Thanks, Ben. Joshua, would you kind of agree with those points? Um, yeah, so I, I actually think you guys are kind of saying the same thing. I mean, the question is really around who's going to be threatened. And big institutions, big incumbents are going to be threatened. And this honestly reminds me so much of the taxi industry with Uber, you know, Blockbuster with Netflix, uh, West, I, I, you know, there, there's countless examples in history of very large, too big to fail incumbents who just kind of poo-poo the new technology and kind of, you know, dismiss it and they get, you know, di disrupted. And in the real estate context, I think it will first happen to the title companies who, you know, in the U.S., you know, you, when you buy a house or an asset, you are scared into buying title insurance for a thousand or two thousand dollars, which really add like provides no value. It's this extractive rent seeking behavior from these monopolies who've been doing thing a certain way for hundred plus years. And it really like blockchain is like the perfect application to replace title insurance. But then I think I think real estate brokerages that just charge six percent commission on each transacted transaction, um, they're gonna be the next ones to be disrupted because when tokenization of real world assets and real estate becomes the main way in which people are buying and selling assets, you won't need to pay six percent anymore. You know, and, and these these legacy brokerages are, are gonna either evolve or die. Um and apologies that you guys can't see me. I'm having some bandwidth issues, but I can yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm following along. So thank you. No problem. Thanks, Josh. Vince, was there anything else you wanted to add on, on those points? Oh, just one point. You know, there's going to be push and pull as we progress. But uh, the fact is that uh, blockchain technology is already at twice the adoption rate of the internet in the 90s. And that's uh, quite a big deal. So we're, we're going in the right direction. I think we passed the tipping point of mass adoption of blockchain, at least. Maybe not crypto quite yet, because that's still a lot of, lot of scrutiny and uh, push and pull there. 
but um, it's it's going to happen. We just got to hopefully, hopefully it's going to be with less casualties. Thanks, everyone. Um, was there any the kind of general points that people wanted to make, or were we kind of covered everyone's everyone's questions in general? As in Rachel, we could still cover. Um, probably, I would want to get everyone's view on uh, what is the future of real world asset or tokenizations that everyone sees and and uh, it's always very hard to predict the future but uh, let's say five years what, what's our wish list if you could go across the room thanks it ben welcome to you first uh people don't like it when i say it but i think um organ tokenization is going to be a big thing and you can tokenize your organs if something happens to you your family can now sell those in order to help them with copying. Thanks, Ben. Vince? Just checking, Ben. Did you say tokenize your organs? I did. Okay, that's an interesting one I had not thought of before. <laughs> but yeah, that was an interesting question I had not thought of, and I think it's a huge question that I love, so I'm going to hopefully have some sort of valid answer, but I wish us to see where we might be in five years. Gosh. Well... No, I, don't, I, I think that's an awesome question. So I just, I hope to see that in five years that we are living in a world where blockchain has been not stifled so much and it has it is delivering the value that it has the ability to. And that, uh, you know, at least some governments around the world have taken that leap of faith. And it just takes one or two to do that. And it is happening. And then we other governments will follow through when they see the results. So at the end of the day, it's just about... Um, persevering with what we got. Perfect. Thanks, Vince. Um, Josh, can we come to you? Yeah, a couple of things. You know, I'm reminded of the Bob Dylan quote, the future ain't what it used to be. Um, I'm notoriously bad at predicting the future, so I, I don't have a lot there other than I think there's a couple, you know, to the degree that blockchain will continue to solve real-world problems, then those, prob those solutions will get adopted faster. The thing that comes to mind first is stranded equity. And what I mean by that is if you're a partner at a private equity um, company or a venture capital firm, or you're a worker at a startup and your company hasn't, like if you're on a fund and your fund has you know, seasoned or you know, you're on a startup who has an IPO or been acquired, you have equity that you know, is increasing in value and it's completely locked up, right? There's no liquidity to it. And I feel like, there and also like let's say the house I live in right now is worth a hundred thousand dollars and I own it with no debt. I don't want to get a home equity line of credit. I don't want to get debt on it, right? So being able to sell ten percent of it and get ten thousand dollars, like you know, just just being able to like unlock stranded equity seems to be such an obvious use case. So that that comes to mind. The second thing I'll say is you know I think there's probably some sort of killer app that that in five years we'll look back and say, holy shit, excuse my language, that was so obvious. How did we not see it, right? Like, you know, um, how, like, up until, you know, there was no app store until, until 2008, right? Yet we were all on the internet for 10, 15 years without using apps. Like, you know, just, it's going to be after the fact and it's going to be very obvious, but we, we, we don't know what that is right now. Perfect. Thanks, Joshua. Vince? You had a point to make? No, no. He was talking about a kind of app that we're going to stop in five years, and I'm just pointing at Lyft. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Put your, put your hand up there. 
Um, perfect. We'll leave it there, guys. We're running out of, of time a little bit. Um, so yeah, to, that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. We would like to thank all our guests for joining us today and sharing their views with us. And also, of course, we'd like to thank you for listening and hope you can join us again next time. Thank you.